Hey, welcome to the Metal Detecting Show, episode number 14. My name is Kieran, and this week I talk about White's Electronics and the demise of the small metal detecting companies. We have our regular tech timeout, and of course, some news from the world of metal detecting and treasure hunting. So let's get on with the show. Hey, thank you for taking the time to listen to my podcast. We're at episode 14. And our downloads and subscriptions are growing every day. If you like the show, don't forget to tell your friends. But also, don't forget to hit that subscribe button. If you want to give me feedback or interact with the show, reach out to me on Twitter at DetectingThe or Instagram at The Metal Detecting Podcast. If you want to pop me an email to Kieran at The Metal Detecting Show. Some sad news this week on both sides of the water. First is the announcement that White's Electronics is going out of business, which I'll discuss at some length later, but more personally, a loss to the world of metal detecting across Europe, and that is the death of Des Dunn. Des passed peacefully after a short illness in the presence of his loving family at Cork University Hospital. Des, late of MindLab Bandon, and it is very poignant that his obituary mentions MindLab as Des was the face for MindLab for as many years as I could remember. I had the pleasure of chatting to Des a few times over the years, but I'll always remember my first and only face-to-face meeting with Des when I called to his office in Bandon, Cork to purchase a MindLab Quattro. I left starstruck an hour and a half later with a bag full of MindLab goodies including the Andy Savage book for the Quattro. R.I.P. Des Dunn, a true gentleman of metal detecting. So after hearing the news of Des passing, I hear that White's Electronics have ceased operations with the following statement. June 18, 2020, to our valued White's dealers. This is a very difficult message to write, but the time has come for retirement from White's Electronics. We are suspending manufacturing operations at our sweet home facility while we reevaluate the future of the company. It is never easy to make these decisions. However, we are faced with the reality of intense competition in the industry and ongoing counterfeit instruments coming from China. Lastly, there have been critical material shortages since the COVID-19 shutdown that we now find insurmountable. All of us here in Sweet Home are grateful to your service. We consider each of you part of the White's extended family. Sincerely, Ken White. Firstly, I want to thank White's for what they have given the hobby of metal detecting over the years. And unlike Tesoro, at least they have been very quick in releasing a statement to their suppliers and subsequently their customers. So with the loss of Tesoro and now White's, I want to ask the question, is this the death of the analog metal detector and what could both companies have done differently? Firstly, we need to understand what went wrong for Whites and Tesoro. There has been lots of commentary online about what may have happened. I think we can break it down to two main points in both technology and management. Looking at technology first, both companies were solely committed to the analog platform. And as some detectorists would say that the analog machine is akin to playing a musical instrument and better in some regards than a digital machine as digital machines tend to work in frequency detection bands where an analog machine can be infinitely tuned to suit the detectorist's requirements. Sounds great, but as you are solely dependent on one sense, mainly your ability to hear, you are getting a lot less valuable information presented to you with an analog machine, comparing to a digital machine, which has the same audible information presented in tow with visual information from the digital screen. With analog machines, as there is a requirement to manually tune several factors or features, all must be done with physical switching, giving an analog detector the look of a kit box attached to a mop handle built on a kitchen table and I'm afraid that is not a very marketable look. 
and definitely not a thousand dollar look. You may have noticed that I haven't called out any particular model as great or bad as I want to focus only on the aspects that I believe matters most and that is the analog nature and styling of the machine. Both companies solely committed on the analog machine and I am aware that they both produced digital machines. They were selling a niche machine inside a niche market and I believe this lack of diversification is one of the fundamental mistakes both management teams committed. So I've mentioned management and I believe there are many mistakes that both management teams have made along the way. One with their sole commitment to the analog machine and I want to outline a few others. Firstly, their unwillingness to invest or their misinvestment in R&D. Both companies failed to innovate like Garrett or MindLab who diversified their technologies by ensuring they had well-funded creative teams that were free to innovate who regularly developed new marketable technologies free from exec interference. Let's look at manufacturing. While whites, online, and a lot of people are blaming China for counterfeit metal detectors coming into the market, accelerating the demise of both companies, and also the finger of blame is being pointed at the lack of semiconductor availability due to the coronavirus. I actually believe that both companies should have invested in moving their manufacturing to China quicker. They could have produced the machines very quickly and cheaply, allowing them to develop, deliver and react to new innovations immediately while maximizing their profits while having a great supply of cheaper semiconductors. The fear of China counterfeiting machines is a misnomer and is actually going to happen even if you don't manufacture in China, but only if you deliver a detector or any electronic device that sells in vast quantities, something which both Tesoro and Whites had nothing to worry about. I would also like to point out that this is only a problem if people buy the counterfeit metal detectors, so buy from a reputable dealer and not off wish for example. So we could be part of the problem here. I know, I know, I can hear you all shout about American Made. Firstly, if American Made was really that important to you, you would have nothing but white detectors in your detecting arsenal. But I have to call it out. I went through the forums to get the sentiment from the community and there was two reoccurring themes in the comments time and time again. The first one was, and I paraphrase here, so sad to see another American-made metal detector company go under. All made from people who listed in their buyers every detector under the sun except an American-made one. The other comment was, I had a White's or a Tesoro back in the day and they were a great machine, etc, etc, etc. All from people who didn't list in their bios a White's or a Tesoro detector. Now, I'm not throwing shade at these people. I'm using it to get to my next point, that back in the day, both these companies were doing something right, and that was executing an effective product and marketing strategy. In the early 90s, you couldn't open a detecting magazine without a Whites ad, but back then, they had something to advertise in the Whites XLT, funnily enough, which was a cutting-edge digital programmable detector. They have moved so far away from the cutting edge. What have their engineering and product designs team produced in the last 20 years that could be marketed against what Garrett and MindLab were putting out? And if they did have something great, were they given the budget to advertise at the level required? I have heard a lot of anecdotal stories online about outdated distributed methods, subpar customer support experience and poor customer retention with equal amounts of positive comments about their great distribution, great customer support experience and great customer retention. So who knows how they have performed in this regard, but let's just hope that Whites don't go out the way Tesoro did with zero customer communications, leaving customers stranded with repairs in process without any statement of fact of what is going on, resulting in their great name being tarnished in the end. So to answer my initial question, is the analog metal detector dead? 
it's hard to tell. There are still a few die-hard analog hipsters that rock the knobs, but once the stock of whites and Tesoro machines diminish, is there enough of a market for MineLab or Garage to invest in it? Only time will tell. Why did whites and Tesoro fail? We will never know really, but we do know the customers, us, we were not buying enough of the detectors simply because there was no advancement in technology while the styling remained stuck in the 80s and in an age of mobile phones and slick wireless connections, maybe the only space left for them in the fast lane of electronics and metal detector design was as the record players of the metal detecting industry. Something that people like the idea of sounds great, but is never used. But I'm afraid you can't build a business on that. Up next is this week's Tech Timeout, where I talk about technology that can help enhance your detecting experience. Time for this week's Tech Timeout. This week, I talk about technology that can enhance your metal detecting experience. I'm not talking about the basic kit, such as spray bottles, pouches, and shovels. Even though they have improved over the years, I'm not referring to those here, but the ancillary technology that some detectorists are using to enhance their detecting experience. This is not required equipment at all, not even a nice to have, but you know, if you wanted an excuse to buy some tech, listen on. For example, drones. We see a lot of metal detectors now starting to fly drones, not just for awesome B-roll for their YouTube videos, but for site surveying. And I'm not talking about the little drones you can fly around your kitchen, but drones like the DJI Mavic fitted with full 4K cameras and an ability to feed this high resolution imagery back to your smartphone, allowing you to survey a site in real time. What use is this, I hear you say? Well, consider that one of the first bits of advice or recommendation when surveying a site is to get to a high point to review the terrain and the lie of the land, but sometimes the best you can do here is to stand on a fence to try and gain some height. But now, you don't need to do this if you have a drone, that is. Also, the captured imagery coupled with a GPS can be used to catalogue the location of finds after the fact. Now, GPS. We are now seeing some detectors come already equipped with a GPS unit, such as the CTX3030. However, although very handy for cataloging finds, they are not much good for directing you to a site. So a separate GPS unit can be handy for both directional functionality, but also for safety, especially if you're going off-road into the wilds and, and God only knows what trouble you get yourself into out there that would require you to rely on GPS coordinates for a rescue mission to unfold. Returning to the inbuilt metal detector GPS, this is handy if you want to return to a find site to pick up where you left off from your last recorded find spot. You can then take these find points to your computer and overlay them with site photography you have already taken with your drone to determine any patterns that may only be visible when grouped together like this. Google Alert has a nice feature set where you can create overlays of locality which proves extremely beneficial in site research. For example, taking older maps and overlaying them over your site and coupling this with your drone photography, coupled with your GPS find data, slowly allowing you to create a site dossier for recording and researching new sites. Another great feature of Google Earth is the ability of metal detectorists to determine possible ring forts and old town sites just by looking at satellite photography on the site. And one of the first things I know most detectors do when they get a new permission is to review every inch of a site via Google Earth to help identify any possible hotspots. They can take this location data, plug it into their GPS and travel directly to that spot. In fact, the GPS location can be entered into some drones and the drone will fly off to lock on the GPS coordinates and hover straight above the site, giving the user a clear way marker to follow. But this technique is not for the faint of heart as your drone could shoot off to God knows where if you get one digit wrong, never to be seen again. 
Another ancillary technology I have seen used but have no experience with is all-terrain quad bikes and two-way radios, which I imagine are a total necessity if going off-road for a few days in a group. Finally, and amazingly, most of the tech outlined above can be accessible via the communication device you're probably listening to this podcast on right now, and that is the phone. I use my phone all the time when detecting. I like to take pictures while digging. I've used a torch on my phone and I know if in an emergency I can use the GPS and call functionality to get me out of hot water, providing I've got coverage of course. I have even used it for on-the-fly site research, but I always worry that it will get damaged. So if anybody is listening that can recommend a ruggedized phone, I would appreciate it greatly. What tech do you use that I haven't listed here? Hit me up in the socials and I'll be able to add it to the list. That's it for this week's Tech Timeout. Up next is the news and views from the world of metal detecting. Okay, some news and views this week. Up first, we have a story in the Express and Star. Appeal to veterans' family as first World War medal found in Wassail Canal. George Hughes' silver medal was discovered by 11-year-old Finley Hargood, who was magnet fishing in the Wassail Canal near Birch Hills area of the borough. Military records show Mr. Hughes was a driver who served in the Royal Horse Artillery. The medal in question is a British war medal awarded to all officers and men of the British and Imperial forces in the First World War, who fought in battles or entered service overseas between August 5, 1914 and November 11, 1918. Link to the full story is in the show notes. And finally, on MyNorthwest.com, mysterious Haitian phoenix button found along Puget Sound. Even in these disturbing historic times, there are people whose hobbies, that's us, involve seeking out tiny buried objects from the past. Phil Massey does a lot of searching around here with his metal detector. He is in his 40s and works on a tugboat. He found all kinds of old kinds jewellery and other bits of metal over the years and he has been actively treasure hunting. But until recently, he never found a phoenix button. Read the rest of the story in MyNorthwest.com. Link is in the show notes. And that's it for this week's news from around the world of magnet fishing and metal detecting. Okay, I hope you like this episode of the Metal Detecting Show podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Detecting The or Instagram at The Metal Detecting Podcast. If you want to contribute or have suggestions for topics to cover, pop us an email to Kieran at TheMetalDetectingShow.com. Don't forget to check out our website www.TheMetalDetectingShow.com for this episode's show notes. Check out our Patreon page if you want to help the podcast stay alive or just want to buy me a coffee. Just search for The Metal Detecting Show. Once again, I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have, don't forget to listen to all my previous episodes. And if you like the show, don't forget to tell your friends. But also, most importantly, don't forget to hit that subscribe button. And we will chat to you all again next week. Get out there and happy hunting.